Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm positively sure we'll both feel better having talked about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. Did you know that She's Got Issues has a magazine called, what else would it be called? Issues. And issue number one is out. You can find it at she'sgotissues.com, which is in the show notes. I'm really proud of it and excited about it. So I would love you to check it out and let me know what you think. Dory Fain is leading the financial industry with her focus on helping women. Her approach to educating women and walking them through major life events led her to And Wealth, the firm she founded in 2009. With a vision to make the financial services experience better, And Wealth has filled a gap in the industry for women who are managing their own newfound finances for the very first time. So I have been... I've been divorced for or separated for five years. And the one of the most enlightening things to me during the divorce process was just how very hands-off I was with the big money stuff. Like I worried myself with coupons and discount codes and you know, things to save five, ten dollars, but like the big stuff, I was just really absent on. So we met a couple of months ago and I was so happy to pick your brain and ask you some of my personal questions about what on earth is happening um, with my money because I have not paid attention for the last 46 years. Um, and that's why I am so happy to be talking to you today. So how did you how did you start to focus in just on women in your financial planning? So like you, I also went through a divorce. And of all people, given my professional background, given that I was responsible for a lot of the, as you say, like the big money things, which I think there is a really important distinction between what we tend to find women are involved in, which is exactly on the saving side as opposed like, and we make ourselves crazy over trying to save, you know, $1.99 on blueberries that what. Yeah. Just as a side note, I didn't use a discount code the other day for a float, and I still have not forgiven myself. For and that I think that's actually important, Jill, because um, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but these kinds of expectations are set upon many young little girls from the time we're born in terms of what our role is supposed to be and what like, so if you think about it, many of us grew up going to the grocery stores with our mothers. And I can specifically remember mm-hmm. my mother standing in the grocery store and looking at these blueberries and saying, and at the time it was probably like three ninety nine, but today I look at eight ninety nine, and I'm, I'm not, I can't buy those. But then, you know, so yep. we, we were in these, some of these things are really ingrained in us. So I think you're in good company in that way. Um, but by all okay. accounts, someone like me with my kind of background and certainly the, the people I, the other, you know, the network I have professionally, I theoretically should have been in total command during my divorce and I shouldn't have made a single financial mistake. And I did. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and it, it wasn't that I couldn't have figured that out and avoided that mistake. It's that whenever you're going through a major life event, which is as traumatic as a divorce is, we can't do it all. We can't be objective in thinking about every detail, specifically in 
things that are complex, like financial things. And also our emotions are driving us. So I know for me, I was trying to get to the end goal of divorce so quickly that when, that I didn't even have an, a, an accountant review this agreement. And had I just had an accountant look mm-hmm. at it, they would have said, look, you wouldn't want to use after-tax dollars. You'd want to make sure that said pre-tax. And as a result, it cost me twice as much. So, mm-hmm. yep. Whoops. So then as time, but I thought at that time, of course, I'd never told anyone I made that mistake. And I thought I was the only one. And then um, our work evolved um, out of a friend of a friend saying, oh, my friend's going through a divorce. Would you mind talking with her? Because she seems really overwhelmed or stuck. They can't seem to reach a settlement. And so really one friend of a friend at a time, I realized this is a thing. And it's especially a thing in the more traditional setup of marriage where there's a natural division of labor and it's very common where hmm. the guy is handling the big money, kind of big financial, not just the decisions, but really has the relationships, is in all the conversations. And even with you know the best yep. of intentions, you just can't come home every night and relay every single thing that's happening in the same way that you're not relaying everything that's happening with the, the 99% of all the things that you're handling. So we recognize right. that if we could make this experience better for women who are in this position, and that's not to say all women are in this position, but many are, um, it would be really impactful. And it turned out to just be a thing over and over and over. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just you. Lots of people have this experience. Yeah. It's not surprising. Um, So what are, tell me some of the mistakes that women make? Because I know I made my own mistakes and I'd love to feel some camaraderie with yes. <laughs> the other women out there. So, yeah. So exactly. Ultimately, when we talk about mistakes, it's really in the eye of the beholder because each person's situation is so different and we each have different goals when we're going through. I'm going to speak specifically about divorce in this context. For me, it was, how can I get to the end of this as quickly as possible? I felt like that was the most important thing. And when you have that as your, so I can say I did achieve that goal and it, it was at some cost. And then I started to make myself feel better and say, you know, it's just money. And, and frankly, hmm. I'm, I'm lucky enough and I had a full career and I would tell myself, I'll just go earn more. I can earn that back. And many of the clients we counsel, and as you you know, certainly the friends of friends, they weren't in that position. They weren't able to just go make it back. Yep. So it's not necessarily, I think some of the mistakes that I would say specific to divorce are that um, at the point where you become somewhat emboldened and empowered to, to use your voice when you may not have in your marriage, you may mm-hmm. think... Um, I need someone who's really strong and really aggressive because my husband's so difficult. And then you end up getting this real fighter of an attorney and you kind of miss the big picture of what you're trying to accomplish, right? So that, that, and then couples end up spending so much more than they may need to through the divorce process. Yours took a long time. That's actually not uncommon in my experience that the process can take years. Mm -hmm. So you're in limbo, like you really can't move forward. And uh, oh yeah, that was fun. No, nobody likes to be in limbo. We all need to know where we stand regardless, right? Yeah. 
So, so, um, like I let my emotions drive that process and it cost me more money. When I look back in the end, Mm -hmm. I still can, with a clear view, recognize that that was my main goal was timing. Like I really just wanted to get through as quickly as possible. Um, divorce is not an optimal solution unless it's the only solution. So I always, you know, people sometimes will say, oh, I'm not going to let my wife get near you. I'm like, I'm the most pro-marriage person you could meet. I loved being married. Um, if yeah. not for the specific circumstances of our situation, we'd still be married and we still have a loving, wonderful relationship, yeah. but the marriage couldn't continue. So I think you, you know, you've shared similar in your situation. Like, you know, nobody arrives here without great, uh, thought and care and concern because it's awful. If you can avoid it by any stretch, avoid it. And I also want to recognize that there are people in marriages today that you would have no idea are at great risk, whether it's psychological risk, physical risk, um, financial risk. Um, There's often, in my experience, one person has an addiction or real mental health issue. The other person's just trying to keep it together. Um, I talked to someone Mm-hmm. Just, just very recently, and I said, "Look, your life is going to be really hard, but you're going to get on safer ground. You're going to go back to work, and you're going to." Er- she was working. I said, "But you're under earning. You need to go out and earn more money, and I can help you build a lifestyle on what your in- your own income can provide. Forget about trying to fight. Like whether mm-hmm. you'll get some money out of your divorce, it's not going to be enough to change your life, and you are now going to need to be self sufficient because that's going to be the safest path forward for you." And that is a hard, uh, that's hard to accept on many levels. Uh, I often think that a direct and honest um, person giving you that feedback, which is validating what she knows inside and giving her that reassurance that, no, you're not, you're not being, you're not giving up too soon. No, you're not being difficult. Um, But at a certain point, particularly when you have kids, but even for your own health and well-being, um, we just shouldn't underestimate the toll that emotional abuse can have. And there's such a, there's such complex dynamics that are happening that if you need to get to safer ground, then let's figure out the fastest way to do that. And that Jill, you know, cause I think we even talked about this, like all the things we think we need, like, do we really need those things? Like, yes, it's nice to have a mm. lot of the things we do today, but the reality is if it's our own personal well-being or our safety compared to the things we think we really need, I've got, I'm choosing, I'm choosing me. Okay. So you're telling this woman that she needs to cut back and adopt a little bit of a different lifestyle. What are the, what are some ways that we can do that? And I know topping the list is going to be food delivery and I'm not willing to hear that. Right. It's so funny <laughs> you say that because we all have our thing, right? And um, yep. if that's your not thing, then we're not changing that. And I will tell you that is not what's going to make or break your budget. It tends to... Oh, <laughs> mom, I told now, you. I don't know your habits. I'm not I'm not at your doorstep when the deliveries arrive. I, I do know that sometimes you might have like three teenagers ordering three different food deliveries and not consolidating their orders. That might be one way to conserve. All right. That may I'm not, have happened. Not pointing any fingers, but I Once do know that that's a thing. And they don't they're sitting <laughs> next to each other ordering from the same place and not even talking to each other and the same delivery arrives. Okay, that aside. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a those order. things do add up, and obviously, everyone's financial circumstances are really different. 
Um, in my experience, the main indicator of the budget is housing. So what it costs mm. for you, not just to like, so many people, I think many of us in the United States were raised with this aspiration of being debt-free and this great accomplishment to have no mortgage. I so disagree with that um, on lots of levels because being debt-free, it's helpful, I can imagine, but it doesn't generate any income. You still need income to live. And so the money that you use to, to aggressively pay off all your debts, that doesn't generate any income for you. So while you don't have that expense, you still have to maintain the home. You still have to pay property taxes. You still have to mm-hmm. paint every now and then. You know, you have your regular maintenance. And if you don't have an asset or a source of income to generate enough money to maintain the home, that becomes problematic over time. So even if you can come out of, let's say you you, you can come out of your situation and we often ask, suggest to people that they rent for a period of time just to live into new expenses, Mm -hmm. because at least it's a known expense. You're not going to have the maintenance, which is anyone. I mean, I live in an old house and it's endless, the amount of maintenance every year. So we try to help people see what does it really cost to live? Because that's the big one. Um, Yes, people have all kinds of tendencies. I'm like a grocery store, grocery store-aholic. So I love to go to like six different grocery stores and spend way too much money on food. I could certainly cut, if I needed to cut back, particularly after my divorce, I didn't do things like that. I kind of conserved. I became very conscientious Mm -hmm. about not wasting food and, you know, sort of all the obnoxious Mm -hmm. things that privileged people get to do. I was very mindful about, you know, things that just felt like waste. Um, But there just are Mm -hmm. basic essentials that, you know, you have a lifestyle that you're not likely completely departing, right? You still live a certain way. Like, I remember when I was planning my wedding and I had like this wedding planner helper and he's like, look, if you have filet mignon taste, you're not serving it on paper plates. Cause I was like, how can we save money? He's like, mm-hmm. you're not right. Yeah. You can, no, you can invite money. less people. That's how you'll save money. So yep. in a similar way, but in my experience, people tend to look to say, Oh, I shouldn't be, getting my nails done every week. That is not going to make or break a budget Mm. on the whole. Of course, everyone's coming from a different financial circumstance. It certainly could be that that is the make or break for certain, you know, for people in a certain financial circumstance in our work, it it really has to do with much bigger decisions like housing, the kind of car you drive. If you're used to driving a really luxury vehicle, you may, you know, you may need to downscale, but does, you know, these are the things that people like their identity starts to get wrapped up in. And we really try to help people understand like what their core values are really about, why they're going through this, what gave them the courage to do this. And that likely mm-hmm. it's temporary because you can change your life however you want in many cases. Like you can make a new path forward. And I don't know about you, but I felt yep. very responsible when I was doing that, like after my divorce and I was really conscientious, I felt really good. It's like, it was like I had a good routine. I felt like I was living within my means. I was saving. And you start to build on that confidence that gets really destroyed, particularly through the divorce process. No, no I cannot okay. that. Maybe that was just me. <laughs> no, I feel, well, no, I feel the responsibility. I feel a lot of responsibility, but I find that to be daunting and 
sounds really scary rather than inspiring. Okay, you and just reminded me of something. You are how far out of your divorce? Like relatively out of, out of my official divorce about exactly. six months, but out of my separation, five okay, years. So the, but, and those are two different things, really. In the early years, I would describe this weight on my chest, like crushing weight of panic and responsibility. Like, how am I going to do this? And that took mm-hmm. years to go away, like three, four years. And okay. I was like, how am I going to raise this little boy? How am I going to, how am I going to do this? And then I'm like 10 years mm-hmm. out of this. I'm like a new person. So you're in, in fair. Really? Yes. And in fairness, um, it's too soon for you to yet, for anyone really to, you're not far enough away from it to, to get to that point if you choose to, because sometimes people choose not okay. to, they choose to stay in that narrative and not heal and recover and take ownership. Yeah, I think I've discovered I think I've discovered through this that I ended up I picked the wrong man to marry, but I do really like partnership and I don't like doing it all alone. Like I feel a lot of burden being shouldered with the mortgage and the car payments and, you know, whatever expenses happen to come up and Lily's getting her wisdom teeth out next week. And, you know, the kids are all going to be going to college soon. And it's so much. Um, Yeah. I just find it so overwhelming. I can't really get past that feeling of overwhelm. So I just choose to focus on other things and not how the hell is college going to get paid. And so you're in, Again, you're in such good company, though it is daunting. It is a lot. It is amazing. What are some things that you would tell women to just tips that we should we should know so that God forbid something happens, we are financially prepared. So one of the things that's really changed is um, this whole business of passwords. And based on mm. the increased need for security, the passwords change all the time. You need two-factor authentication just to get to your bank account, you know. So I wanna I wanna be really clear that. Even and especially in the healthiest of marriages or healthiest of individuals who are self-sufficient on their own, taking care of their everything in their lives, the, the ability to keep up with all the passwords is a challenge. And it's especially a challenge when you're sharing them across a partnership. So if, mm-hmm. if you think about having either a password keeper, like, there are apps for this. Um, some people keep a spreadsheet. Some people write it on their, you know, they keep notes in their phone. There are different measures of security that make some more secure than others. But one of the greatest challenges when someone dies is getting access to their accounts. And if you can't access, mm-hmm. like, so for example, um, your bank account password might reset to your email, but you don't have access to that person's email. And there is absolutely... Mm-hmm. A, I don't want to say it's impossible. It's very difficult, even as the spouse, to get the email providers to, to give you access to someone's private email. So 
Um, mm. Even with the best of intentions and healthy relationships, it can be difficult to get access to accounts because of the nature of passwords. So I advise people to use these password keepers. It has like been life-changing for me because the stress of remembering all the passwords and constantly resetting them, they actually work really well. And that, yes. you mean like an app? Yeah, like exactly. Is it an app that you and, Okay. Because I'm someone who I literally have post-it notes with my passwords around the house. So you're it's not really alone secure. in that. Some people have like a notebook they keep. <laughs> Some people have like a, um, again, like it's in the notes in their phone. But if you can't access that phone and if you, yep. and you know that you have to update them so often. So if you're not vigilant about updating them, it's almost no good. Now between partners or even between like, like you and your kids, you might have like a general password that you use and you change it. So like you might, the person might have a chance at guessing it, but it is a big challenge often to get access to information when you don't have the passwords. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And so the other thing I would say in terms of like, what do people need to know? You need to know who the key people, the other key people are. It's not expected. I'm not Mm -hmm. a big fan at all of the people in the financial media that yell at women to be like, come on, women, you can do this. Like, pull yourselves up, get involved, become a, like, no, if you're not interested in financial services, then don't be. If you're not interested in counting, you don't have to be. I'm Mm -hmm. not interested in what my doctor's doing. That's why I I go to my doctor. I'm not trying to be a dentist. I'm trying to fix my car. So just know who the key people are. Um, And often what happens is um, after a funeral, an accountant is introducing himself to a surviving spouse that's been working with their family for years and years. And he hasn't had the courtesy to even introduce himself. And I mean, I've Mm. seen where entire estate plans are formed and her will is provided to her for her signature as though she wouldn't have input or point of view about where she'd want her money or what she'd want her decisions to be. And so I think you, Mm. you don't have to become an expert but it really is important that you know who, who the experts are. And we need to have a plan in case everything goes to shit and we die. <laughs> we need to have something planned. So if you have kids, kids, yes. I mean, it doesn't have to be so elaborate. Like it, it really, that is something you could Google and you could say, okay, what are the most important things that need to be in writing? And that doesn't have to be expensive. It just would be like, if anything happens to me, this is why I want my kids to go to... More realistically, it's like who, if you have young, younger kids, like you have kids that would be making healthcare decisions, they would probably want input, but they wouldn't be the decider. And so like, mm-hmm. who would you want to be the advocate for your kids, your wishes? Um, and people pick people mm-hmm. that often make no sense whatsoever. And you think about it, mm-hmm. um, you know, we really want to be mindful about not putting siblings in charge of other people, uh, of each other's money decisions or, you know, being mindful that you don't want to have some random, like unrelatable relative helping your kids decide about your healthcare decisions. You want to be really thoughtful and you may even ask your kids, um, like who are the people, who are the adults in your life that you feel most comfortable if something, if, if you needed, you know, if we needed to call upon them and I couldn't be there, you know, those kinds of things. So, um, yeah. Those are things that could make life a lot better if you're not here to, to be in charge of everything. Give me, give me a couple of um, habits that really savvy money people. That is such a good question. I think that what I have seen really savvy people live well within their means. So they are not 
reaching. They are well within their means, really savvy people, financially savvy people have a cash reserve. They know that cash is an important part of their equation. So when we have a foundation of cash and we know that we can take care of ourselves for a period of time or we can pay every bill if everything else kind of went out the window, um, helps ease and free up better decision-making, better decision-making about the kind of jobs we take, better decision-making about things that, you know, we might do to treat ourselves because we have this ease and peace of mind that, that there's a foundation of cash there. Um, I think really mm-hmm. savvy financial people know what they don't know. They're not embarrassed or ashamed to say, like, I just don't understand that. Um, often what happens is the people selling the goods make you feel like, yeah, 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 no, no, you know, just, it'll be okay. Well, no, not yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, never yeah, have like, to pay that credit card that. That's not going to be a problem. And one of the things that financial people do, especially um, are, are classic for, is they oversimplify the complex and they make what is simple too complex. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, that's. it sounds like how I was in my marriage, making everything so complicated with, you know, with, with groceries and with, you know, saving a couple bucks going to a movie and just little stuff that can't possibly add up to much. Yeah, or also, yeah, and I'd say also um, they're selling you, like, so now, Jill, you're going to go into the world and you'll have to be making some of the big money financial decisions on your own, Right. And so the professionals you might interview to help to support you should be able in simple terms to explain the services they offer and what it's going to cost. They tend to overcomplicate that. And you'll be like, I thought I just needed a tax return. Or I thought I just needed like a life insurance policy. This seems really complicated. Where all you probably need is just this very simple term policy. But they won't make a lot of money from that. So they're going to sell you a bigger policy that's more expensive because they get paid more. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that's what I mean. Like they make, they might oversimplify the description of something that's actually worthy of a very thorough explanation. But then they'll make something really simple, complicated, like, um, you know, like your mortgage payment, this is the interest, this is how much you're going to pay. But I know when I was refinancing my mortgage, it was not, they didn't make it seem that simple. You know, so they're, That can happen. And savvy financial people understand, like, like I say to myself, like, if I don't understand this, there's no chance a client's going to understand this. It's probably not for us. Like, Hmm. like the most recent one was on Bitcoin. Like I could, if I couldn't explain it and really understand it, like, yeah, we might miss out on something, but I'm okay with that. And in the end, we didn't really miss out because a lot of people, I I don't know, we stopped hearing about it. What happened? (laughs) I think people lost totally, a lot of money. I have I absolutely people, no idea. Some people lost a lot. You know, maybe they only lost it on paper. Well, that's one benefit to not having a lot of money. You can't lose a so lot of this money is when you don't have what financially savvy people recognize. Like what's like I don't feel so bad about missing out on the doubling of my money. I feel much worse if I lose half my money. So you have to know yourself. So mm-hmm. I think financially savvy people know their profile. They know what would work for them. And they're not going to get influenced or be made to really be pressured into trying to go beyond like what their personality or their risk profile is. Like they know how to pass and be okay with that. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, you're a savvy people. <laughs> well, it's been so fun talking to you and thank you so much for your advice here and your advice to me. Um, it's it's been so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. She's Got Issues is produced by Kira Shine, Play Audio Agency, and me, Jill Smokler. We would be so appreciative if you could rate and review the podcast. And don't forget to check out the magazine, she'sgotissues.com. See you next time.